welcome to the MBS Leadership Series, where we discuss all things related to the REI process. Your host is Natalie Moore, Senior MBS Specialist. Welcome, Natalie. Hey, everybody. It's Natalie. And today we're going to focus on the new MDS version 18, which is set to go into effect this October. Several new items have been added or revised on those item sets. Many of those items are considered social determinants of health or SDOHs. Joining me today to discuss these as well as help us understand how to start preparing for all these changes is our MDS specialist from the DHC communities in Delaware, Barbara cronin Laperch. Welcome to the podcast, Barb. It's great to be here and thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, so I thought we should begin with uh, one of the most basic questions, which is, what are these SDOHs that are being added to the MDS? So the social determinants of health that are being added to the MDS include such things as an ethnicity, race, language, transportation, health literacy, and social isolation. As you can tell, these are non-medical factors that can greatly affect a health outcome, which we can look into and clearly see if somebody's socially isolated or unable to understand directions, that's gonna impact their outcome. So Natalie, that being said, who should we interview in order to collect this information, which we will be required to complete the new item set on the MDS? All of our residents who are in either that Medicaid or Medicare certified bed that require the MDS all have to be interviewed to gain insight to these questions. And with that, we're really going to see our residents in a way that we never have before. Can you tell me, beside the resident, is there anyone else who can provide this information about the social determinants of health? Yeah, so this gets a little murky. For the race, ethnicity, and preferred language items, the family or their representative can be asked, but only if the resident is unable to respond. And for those other social determinants of health, which are transportation, health literacy, and social isolation, those are intended to be a resident self-report item only. And so that means no other source should be used to identify a response. Now, in the response section of those MDS items, they do give us codes that are available in those circumstances when the resident is unable or unwilling to respond. But again, even if they are unwilling or unable to respond, we are not to gather that data from any other source. Can you tell me what specific time frame and the team, you know, during which these interviews must be completed? Yeah, so like all interviews with the MDS assessment, it has to be conducted during that seven-day look-back time frame, which is our assessment reference date, or ARD, plus the six previous days. And one thing I want the teams to note is that we really have to continue to pay attention to how we're signing Section Z to ensure that the date in Section Z reflects the date that the interview was actually conducted not data entered, so that we can show compliance with the interview guidelines. So once we have successfully collected all this information and we've coded it on the MDS, is there anything else that the team should be doing with this information? Absolutely. We're going to gather all of this data, but we can't just use the information 
to code the MDS. We have to think beyond that. We're going to have to take this information to develop the person-centered and culturally competent care plan to address the risks that really could affect a successful discharge back to the community, among all the other things these social determinants of health are going to impact. As I previously mentioned, transportation is another social determinant of health. Can you provide some insight as to why we would need to collect such information? Yeah, so I'll just tell you what CMS provided as far as insight to the rationale for collecting those items regarding the barriers to transportation. So CMS stated that access to transportation for ongoing health care and medication access needs is essential for effective care management. And understanding resident transportation needs can help organizations access barriers to care and really facilitate connection with available community resources. It does in fact facilitate better care coordination and discharge planning for follow-up care. So once we have determined that there are challenges to the resident regarding transportation needs, what are we supposed to do based on a community level? Yeah, so of course, we should take that information and make some care planning considerations. So let's say, for example, during the social services admission intake, they identify the resident is no longer able to drive and they have no other means of transportation. As part of the discharge care plan, the social service director should include interventions for transportation resources. This should also prompt them to note that they'll want to provide a list of public transportation options with the resident during their next care conference. So these questions are gonna change the way we think about how a resident can truly achieve a successful discharge back home. Just to dive a little deeper into transportation, who is responsible for payment and setting it up specifically? That's a great question. So I think at this point, we have really incorporated making that follow-up PCP and any other appointments that should take place after discharge as part of our due diligence in our discharge planning process. Moving forward, we're going to take the information that we're gathering in regards to their transportation needs, understand those, and that's really going to help us assess barriers to care and facilitate connections with those available community resources. While we're not financially responsible for their transportation needs post-discharge, we are obligated to provide resources available in the residents' community and possibly even facilitate scheduling transportation for them as we're scheduling those follow-up appointments. Thanks for clarifying that. Moving on to health literacy. How do you feel health literacy impacts our residents' care? Well, I'm going to piggyback again on what CMS has said in that draft REI user's manual. And so they say that like the language barrier, low health literacy interferes with communication between the provider and the resident. So if we just think about how language barriers and even possibly the inability to read could adversely affect the resident's ability to, we'll say, follow a treatment plan or take medications as instructed. We've never really asked these questions of the resident before, and as I begin to process why we should, I quickly realize that issues with health literacy as well as what we just discussed, the lack of transportation, 
have a direct correlation to negative outcomes, higher healthcare costs, emergency department recidivism. I mean, the impact is seriously endless. So true. What should be addressed in our care planning process once we've identified that there are health literacy issues? Yeah, so just like with the transportation question, once we've identified an obstacle, we have to create a clearer pathway for our resident. Now, are we going to be able to teach the residents how to speak, read, or write in English? No, of course not. But what we can do is provide materials in their preferred language, provide their interpreter, and or make sure their caregiver is present anytime we're giving them essential health care information. When we identify a resident who's unable to read, we must then read the materials we're providing to them or make sure that an interpreter is present. So for example, we have a resident who's unable to read. Their discharge plan is to go home with their daughter. As we develop the discharge plan, we would note that the resident requires his daughter to be involved in all aspects of care, that all discharge teaching, including the transfer of that reconciled medication list at discharge, will need to be completed both with the resident and his daughter due to the resident's low health literacy. And of course, we can't forget the care plan. That should include all of those problems that we've identified, include some good goals, and then all those interventions we just discussed. Thanks. Another SDOH that was mentioned earlier is social isolation. CMS has tied the challenge of social isolation back to language, race, and ethnicity. As you previously stated, I also looked at the REI manual, and the draft manual states that programs to increase resident social engagement should be designed and implemented, while also taking into account an individual's needs and preferences. So I believe like the rationale for collecting this type of information is for us to identify those residents who are feeling socially isolated and to determine which residents may benefit from an engagement effort on the part of the community. CMS has gone on to clarify this by stating, resident engagement in social interactions and activities of interest can greatly enhance quality of life. And I truly believe this to be true. A resident's individualized care plan should address activity planning if the resident has identified themselves as either feeling sometimes, often, or always feeling lonely or isolated. So how do you think that we should go about addressing a resident who has responded to the questions and is feeling socially isolated? Well, I just have to say that I am so happy that CMS is focused on social isolation because historically this has just been an unspoken plague for the elderly and as we saw during the pandemic can have catastrophic consequences. So now we have this amazing opportunity here to help our resident cultivate socialization, which is something even I can acknowledge becomes challenging as we're aging, right? So I would recommend that we just start with the activities interview. They ask questions about the resident's preferences, their customary routine and activities they would enjoy. So as we're discussing the types of activities our residents would enjoy while in the community, we can help them identify some group activities that they might like to try as well as some other engagement opportunities. Another change to our discharge process should really be providing the resident with community resources so that they'll continue to have increased socialization once they're at home. 
So based on this discussion, it's very evident that the SDOH really truly impacts many aspects of the resident's care. And we should consider this during our care planning process. As we know, care plans are becoming more individualized and resident-centered. So how do you think that we should proceed with the care planning process and any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I just can't emphasize enough that we're not just asking these questions to code the MDS. So throughout the interviews and those follow-up conversations, the staff is not there just to simply obtain the answers needed to code the MDS, but they have to change their, their mind frame and what we're actually trying to accomplish here. So we're really trying to seek to understand the residents' values, their preferences, what are their risks and what are their strengths. So this focus is gonna allow us not only to code the MDS accuracy, which is always our goal, but to develop a person-centered care plan and start identifying risks that will help them create an ultimately satisfying individualized discharge plan so that they'll be successful once at home as well. That sounds like a great plan. All of these changes are gonna impact how we collect the information in order to be able to code our MDS assessment. What is LCS doing to help us get that supportive documentation? So the senior clinical specialists, as well as myself and my team are currently working with the EMR teams to develop standardized forms that are gonna incorporate the new MDS items into the assessments that we already have to create a one-stop shop but more information to come with those forms. At this point, I think we have covered each one of the social determinants of health. and We've gotten into what we wanna take away from these new items. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, Barb? No, I agree that this is a very exciting time to be in the industry and the person-centered care plan should really be focused on these social determinants of health that are data collected during that look back period. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I am excited to see the positive impact this is gonna have on our residents. And thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this with me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so team, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to your clinical and MDS specialists. We'd be happy to assist you. And as always, thank you for everything you continue to do every day for our residents and families. It is noticed and appreciated by the LCS Health Services Division. And thanks again for taking the time to listen in to this episode of the MDS Leadership Series. Be on the lookout for the next edition of the MDS Leadership Series podcast, where we're dedicated to the continuing education of our MDS nurses. This has been a Healthcare Highwire presentation. Never stop 